0: My name is Randy and one of the uh, teaching team here at the Vineyard. Glad to be with you this morning. Welcome back to some of you who have been away for a while. And uh, last month we started uh, the current series called Avoiding the Fiscal Cliff. And our, our goal with this is to help us as followers of Jesus to have a better understanding of God's ways as they pertain to money and finance, so that we can align ourselves with his ways rather than blindly uh, following the ways of the world, the ways of Satan in this area. And uh, this morning while I was driving here, I was reminded of um, Isaiah 55, 8, where uh, the words of God speaking prophetically through the prophet to his people say my thoughts are not your thoughts neither are your ways my ways declares the Lord and as Marianne and I touched on that uh, verse this morning just chit-chatting I was reminded that we hear those words as a rebuke your ways are not my ways your thoughts are not my ways like you dumb little kid you know don't you know better but Knowing, as we get to know God, who he really is, a God of love, I think we need to learn to hear those words with a different tone, which is, hey guys, do you get the fact that your ways aren't working? And that the way you're living isn't really kind of adding up to everything that I want for you? But hey, why don't you come along? Why don't you come alongside, learn my ways, and then you'll find true and superabundant life. The context of this verse is profound. I could teach all morning on it, but I'm not going to. This is an interlude. It's an intro, maybe we call it. But listen to a couple of verses later. He's, he's just said to us, hey, there's, there's some other ways to live. And, and listen to the result. Just three verses later. As a result of learning my ways... Of knowing my thoughts Isaiah fifty five twelve, you will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Does that sound kinda of fun? Like wow, that'd be kinda of cool. Go up on a mountain top and all the trees are clapping and That sounds like a supernatural experience. Instead of the thorn bush, will grow the juniper. And instead of briars, the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown for an everlasting sign that will endure forever. God's invitation to us throughout the scriptures are, Hey, why don't you try my way? Might be a little different, might be a little out of the ordinary, you know, sending a young single woman to go climb a mountain and to try and communicate to people that she doesn't have their language. That's a little weird. It's not how we would do it. We would either take a little box so that when she speaks it, you know, translates out. We have technology, voice translation. We have that now, right? Probably it's on your iPhone. There's probably an app for that, speaking (laughs) Nepalese. But, of course, they don't speak Nepalese up there. So anyway, we'll have to work on it. Somebody want to write that out for her? That would be good. Anyway, um, I think that in this arena of money and finance, I, and probably most of you, have been primarily trained by our society about money and finances. And we've heard and read little things here and there. Oh, yeah, the tithe, that's that's a God's way. Hmm, I'm not sure how I think about that one. I mean, I paid at least 10% taxes, so maybe that's what God really meant. That, that's probably it. We just need to give our 10% to the government. Anyway, obviously, there's much to learn. And, and we're doing this series in, in a hope that, that the information which is provided will take us to transformation. But alone, it cannot do that. Information only translates to transformation when we take action. We do something. We change something. We, have, we change our mind. Metanoia. Repent. So when in, we introduced this, initially we, I talked about competing kingdoms. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of Satan. And their opposing economic systems. That the world's economic system, we said, operates under the power and ways of Satan. And it operates on the basis of selling and buying or taking and hoarding. The contrasting economic system operates under the power and ways of God and operates on the basis of giving and receiving. I, uh, having been reviewing this and going to be teaching it this morning, Uh, my awesome daughter this morning said that we're going to take communion. But are you going to take this or are you receiving it? We are trained by our world's economic system to take. But God's system is to give and receive. And we need, there are things to learn about that. We also talked about the power behind money, which Jesus called mammon using an ancient Aramaic word that suggested or denoted an entity, a spirit, a power, as in what Paul speaks of in Ephesians 5. A power that exists in the heavenly realm, which ancient peoples, and probably moderns, worshipped as a god or deity of finance. Last week, Clara talked about the influence of the mammon spirit, encouraging us to consider where this spirit might have activity or influence in our lives. This week, I'm going to talk about wealth, riches, and money. Uh, But before we head there, let's pray. Papa, it's encouraging to me uh, to know that my ways are not your ways and your ways are not my ways. It's encouraging because my ways don't work a lot of the time. And I really need uh, an alternative. And particularly in this arena of finances and money, we just uh, really need uh, some changes to be able to live and experience the superabundance that you want to provide to us that we would have more than enough to give to every need. So help us, Holy Spirit, teach us. Let these verses, these thoughts and ideas be of help. And for those who are here, who have come uh, in a very desperate place, I welcome you, Holy Spirit, to meet them and to lead them into your arms, letting them know of your support, your provision, and your care. In Jesus' name, amen. I think that most people in our society think of wealth, riches, and money as sort of interchangeable terms for the same thing. When we say a person is wealthy or rich, we predominantly mean, well, they have a lot of money. However, when we study um, these words, these ideas from the scriptures, we find that they are descriptive of different things And are actually governed by different things. So first, what is wealth? Wealth in the Hebrew language is defined as possessions. Particularly in the sense of resources, substance, or commodity. In looking at the Old Testament, we find examples of wealthy people. And their wealth was primarily in the form of land, houses, Cattle, flocks, gold, silver, jewelry, timber, oil, and clothing. Clothing was considered a part of wealth. They passed clothing on down, not to the homeless shelter, but to their children because of the work and cost of the making of it. The Old Testament also spoke of people. As a part of wealth. In the form of maids and men servants. We might parallel that today to owning a business. Generating resources from our business. Genesis 13.2 says. Abram was very rich in livestock. In silver and in gold. And of course the theme or idea of him having uh, generations. Children that would be as numerous as the stars in the sky, would have had an an element of wealth in the people's understanding at the time. For to have offspring who generate resources and to whom you give resources is a part of this system of wealth. Joshua 22.8, Joshua describes taking wealth from enemies. Listen to these words, Joshua 22.8. Joshua said to them, go back to your homes with the great wealth you have taken from your enemies, the vast herds of livestock, the silver, gold, bronze, and iron, and the large supply of clothing. Share the plunder with your relatives. 2 Chronicles 1 describes uh, Solomon's encounter with God in a dream, and Solomon was asked by God what he wanted from God. Got your little genie lamp there, and you kind of rub it a little bit. The genie pops up and says, I'm going to give you one wish. What would you like it to be? And we all kind of little, hmm, I don't know what I'd do with one. Three is a little better, because then I can, you know, if I, if I miss on the first two, I've still got another one. He had one. He had an opportunity. But he got two and three anyway. Uh, not as in a wish, but as in provision. God then said to Solomon, because, oh wait, give, Solomon's response was this, give me wisdom and knowledge to rule this people. Uh, I guess he got two. Wisdom and knowledge. God then said to Solomon, because he had not asked for wealth, possessions, honor, glory, and long life, God would give him wisdom and knowledge and all of that. And then the next couple of verses described a portion of his wealth as chariots, horses, cities, timber, silver and gold wealth sometimes called riches is always something tangible and of itself has worth and value this is very important and it's a distinction from money wealth has worth or value we we picture here is of the Middle East the land that was given to the Israelites uh, in our day and age, I was looking for pictures of a great Texas cattle ranch, and I couldn't find one. The King Ranch is probably one of the largest in Texas, but there weren't any really cool pictures of it, so there we go. But that kind of thing, I think we get and understand that. Buildings, property. And while silver and gold are used as a median of exchange, Wealth is not usually used for the purpose of buying and selling. It is the result. It's the outcome of things bought and sold. That's wealth. So what is money? Money has very different characteristics than wealth as it is viewed in our world today. I've got ten just bullet points here. Money is a median of exchange for which one may trade goods and services. Makes sense. We go out to the store, we buy. Um, money is also what we receive for our production, our work, uh, and services as workers, which we then use to obtain the production and services of others. It's a medium of exchange. It's It's what's used in the world uh, to buy and sell. While wealth is... Something of substance and value in that here's a piece of pen and have any. I should have brought, but anyway, we know paper and uh, paper comes from lumber and timber uh, and land. um, And of course, the coins once upon a time were made from gold and silver and things that were of value. And now we have a copper penny. And then uh, what's the rest of our. What's a quarter made out of these days? And a dime? Nickel. Yeah. We have a whole whole lot of that around. Not a whole lot, not a whole lot of value in that stuff. So, um, while it is, it has that minimal substance of value. Money by itself and in itself has no value. Rather, its value is determined in our day and age by the value based out of the markets. The value of the dollar goes up and down every day, right? The value of the the uh European whatever. Euro. I should know the European Euro. Good, sounds good. Goes up and down, right? The Japanese yen, all those things. There's no value in it. It's set by people. People determine the value of those coins and things, that money. I've also suggested in previous weeks that in and of itself money is impotent. Money does not have power. You could you could uh, pile uh, dollar bills or $100,000 bills right here in the f- in the front of this room, and it would not have power. Now there might be some power that would draw you up here if I said it's all for free, but the power is not in those pieces of paper. Right? They don't have any power. It's so what's behind money that has power. It also carries no intrinsic morality. It is an amoral commodity. It's neither virtuous nor evil. Money is also easy to recognize. You can go to any country, and if you see money, you'll know it's money. You won't have a clue, maybe, when she goes to Nepal and she flies into the airport, and and she and somebody tells her, you know, how much does this Coke cost, and it costs, you know, X amount of whatever's, she wouldn't know which coins to give them out of her purse, right? But we know it's money. We just don't know how much it's worth. We have to get people to tell us what it's worth because it doesn't have worth. Money traditionally has been made from metal and paper into coins, notes. And interestingly, and I, I don't really know the connection here, but money is almost always imprinted with the image of someone. Quarters, nickels, dollars, hundreds. We can differentiate our bills by the picture of the person on the front um, of it. Interestingly, today we also use checks, which is paper, okay, but then debit cards. So now we've got money that's plastic, um, which has really no value, right? (laughs) Other than what's behind it. And uh, debit cards and uh, checks, of course, allow us to have money in the bank, And we draw from those funds rather than carrying money around. Like I reached for this and I didn't have any money. Actually, I do have. I always have. a. How many of you do not carry any cash? Got one, two, three, four. Most of the time. We say most of the time. Quite a few of you. We are becoming, as they say, a cashless society, right? But I do want to make this comment. And we're going to talk more about it later. A credit card is not money. A credit card is not the same as a debit card, right? We all know that because we can't rent a car with a debit card. Or they're, they're, they're doing something with us these days. But, I mean, for most of the years of late, you could not rent a car because, why? There's nothing behind the credit card. A debit card, if they, if they swipe that and say you've got $2,500 there to support the rental of the car, you're good, go. If they swipe a credit card, they don't know that this yes, okay, well now they've got contracts with Visa and MasterCard and American Express and all those people. But credit card is not money. It is a means to buy today with someone else's money. Money we don't yet have with the hope to pay it back later. It's a debt. Money you owe to someone else. Now, most of you, I'm sure in this room, use your credit cards the way you do debit. I've got money in the bank. I'm going to use this credit card. I'm going to use somebody else's money. And then at the beginning of next month, uh, they're going to automatically draft the payment out of the money I have. I'm sure that's how all of you use your credit cards. None of you are, I'm sure, a month behind. Like me. Claire and I had a talk last night. We, I said, you know what? I was, I can't, this isn't, was not in my notes from when I taught this in 2009. I'm taking too much time. We're going to talk about debt and stuff later. Anyway, I said to her, honey, we're not using this credit card right. You know why? Because I'm using it and paying next month's checks to pay this month's credit cards. That's called debt. It's not the way we should live. Money is divisible. It comes in varying denominations. It's easy to buy and sell with. We can make change from it. Money is durable. Our, our bills and our coins are fairly durable. They're, they're not quite the same as you know the paper here that I've got that I'm going to throw away at the end of the day unless somebody wants a sermon. Um, uh, but it does wear out. You know they, they move it out of circulation. Money is transportable. It can be carried with you, even when it's plastic. Uh, It's a little hard to carry around houses and land and cattle, you know, taking our cow into Walmart and saying, I'd like to buy some, you know, some chicken with my cow. You know, it's not too too easy to do that. Even gold and silver is a little difficult to carry around uh, with its weight. Um, Here's a big one there is a scarcity versus demand of money. And that scarcity versus demand is how economics are controlled. What is inflation? It is the infusing to our economy of more paper and nickel. Which isn't a good thing. It feels good initially to our system and our society... There isn't th- anything behind it. Anyway, I'm not an economics. Economum. I should have Matt come share sometime. That would be awesome. Okay, so what does the Bible say about money? Those are some things that we know about it. I want to look at Matthew 22. I mentioned the very first week that Jesus talks about money all the time. Like 50% of his parables are about money and finance. And... um here is one of those times where uh, money comes up in conversation. He didn't even initiate this one. Uh, religious leaders uh, were constantly trying to catch Jesus saying something wrong or doing something wrong so they could say they could a reason why they could arrest him. So they asked him a question about paying taxes to Rome. Now you can imagine in, in Israel, as Jews, your own country, To pay taxes to this imposer, Rome, would not have been a real comfortable conversation. There could be a variety of of things people could think and feel about that. So they're they're trying to find out how he's, you know, let him trick him. So how's he going to deal with this one? Tell us, what's your opinion, Jesus? Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Ah, we've got him. But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, You fools, hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? (gasps) What do you mean trying to trap you? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. Oh, that's kind of cool. They brought him a denarius. He said, Whose image is on this? Whose inscription? Caesar's. Then he said to them, Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to God what is God's. Wow, that's kind of like Solomon's wisdom with the little baby, right? Whose baby is this? Well, cut it in half. Give half of the baby to one mother and one to the other. And then the real mother said, please don't do that. That's the real mother then. Similar. What's on the coin? Coins belong to the economic system to which it is created. While answering a question, giving instruction about taxes, Jesus is also communicating something about the nature of money. The denarius coin did not belong to God. It belonged to the economic system of Rome. When people take a chunk of gold or silver, which has inherent value, and is by nature wealth, they melt it, mold it, and imprint an image of a person's face on it, and they dedicate it to be used for buying and selling. That chunk of gold has changed economic systems. It's no longer under God's ownership, but now belongs to the world system. God owns all the cattle on a thousand hills, Scripture said, including in Texas. Well, sort of. The idea is that all wealth is under God's hand, that the material aspects of those things. In this series, we've talked about the word uh, mammonus used four times in the New Testament and only by Jesus. Um, That's translated, and we use the word "mam." And it's often translated, in fact, most of the time it's translated as money or wealth. And as we suggested, it's an Aramaic word that probably Jesus was referring back to an entity, a power, rather than to money or wealth. The word frequently most used in the Gospels for money is the word argurion. And it's the name of a particular silver coin uh, known as a shekel. In Jesus' instructions to the disciples about their missionary journey, he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, no bag, nor bread, nor money, not even an extra tunic. And the word there is argurion, shekel, silver coin. On a number of occasions, the translators insert the word money where it isn't even present in the Greek because they feel it's implied and helpful. Let me give you one example, and I think it gives a false understanding. Uh, There was a time when uh, Mary, a very close friend of Jesus, at least one of the accounts describes it very clearly as being Mary, anointed Jesus with a very expensive perfume. Um, She took that which was hers, probably having been handed down, Uh, to her probably acquired through business of some type of someone along the way and judas and other disciples even why this waste she pours this perfume out on jesus this perfume might have been sold for a high price and the money given to the poor but the word money is not there And there is a twist on its meaning. The text implies this. This perfume might have been sold for a high price and change economies in being given to the poor. Sold, but then given. When when we take something out of the economy of the world and we give it, we break its relationship with the economy of the world and it now becomes available as a resource of God. We're going to talk more about that as well in the future. But there's, that's a key thing here. The other thing that I was thoughtful of about this passage is what is Mary doing with it? She's giving it. She's taking a resource that could have been sold In the world's economy, bringing whatever benefit it was, and instead she pulls it from that economy and she expresses the kingdom of God. She pours it out on Christ. And all the symbolism of his death and resurrection, all kinds of things there. But anyway, a passage about money. There's also a number of passages that refer to specific kinds of coins. The minna, which is bronze or copper coin, the colobus, which is a small coin, the denarius, other ones. I share all that to say this. Jesus had a lot of alternatives when he spoke that statement, you cannot serve both God and mammonus. It's not like Jesus was unfamiliar nor didn't use terms of money. But he made a choice. And I believe that there's significance and importance in that. He could have used those common words of the day, but he selected a different word that reflected back to power in an entity, a God of finance. Besides the time uh, that Jesus is questioned by the religious leaders about paying taxes, there's another account of Jesus paying a tax. This one's pretty cool. It's Matthew recorded for us in Matthew 17. After Jesus and his disciples arrived in Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax came to Peter and asked, doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? This now is a Jewish tax, temple tax. Drachma is a Jewish coin. Yes, he does, he replied. I hope so. (laughs) Jesus, do you really, do you pay that? (laughs) Of course he does, right? Peter doesn't know, I'm sure. When Peter came into the house, Jesus was the first to speak. Isn't that cool? Peter's kind of going, "How am I going to bring this up to Jesus?" You know, I just, I just told them out there that that, that he pays this. And um, let's see, Peter, Jesus is the first to speak. What do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth collect duty and taxes? From their own sons or from others? From others, Peter answered. Then the sons are exempt, Jesus said to him. But so that we may not offend them, Peter's going, what's he talking about? No, I think Peter knew exactly what he was talking about. Jesus says, here's a good way to go, you know, uh, get your money for your taxes if you you know if you came to the end and you had to pay you could this is what Jesus' suggestion was. Um go to the lake and throw out your line. Take the first fish you catch, open its mouth, and you'll find a four drachma coin. Take it and give it to them for my taxes and yours. That's kind of cool. But Jesus is saying a lot besides just paying a tax bill here. Right? This is a Jewish tax. He's asking Peter, who do people tax? Their own people or others? So here's the Jews taxing whom? Their own people. And Jesus is saying it's not supposed to be that way. Essentially, here's what Jesus was saying. Peter, as God's children living under God's economy, we are free from the taxes of this world system. Y'all like that? But, so as not to offend anyone, we will pay the tax. But we're not going to get it through the world system of buying and selling. Instead, God is our source, and He is going to provide it. Now, that's a powerful declaration here. And we're talking about, and have raised the idea that God,